Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio by Jeff Rutberg and Jeff Cohen, back with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, we did our live show last week. The draft is now behind us. We've got plenty to analyze. The Phillies are up and down, mostly down since we last left our listeners. The NHL playoffs continue to have great overtime games, big injury in the NBA playoffs, so much going on in the world of sports. Jeff, what is keeping you up at night watching TV? I'm watching the NHL playoffs, and I'm watching the Phillies, and I'm enjoying, I, am, I enjoyed the first game when they uh, won 10, 10 to 1, was it 10 to 3? And you mean the only game? The, they the only won game on the that road. they won on the road, and then they lost the le- the next three, but they were in it. They Isn't were. that great? Isn't that what you <laughs> want to do? You want them to be in it. Sure. Okay. They were the Phillies ended up one and six on that road trip. Uh, when we were on the radio last Saturday, I said that we were on our third closer, and maybe we had one now. Who then proceeded to go give up back to back to back home runs uh. Uh, to three hitters. I. Haven't really seen anything like that in a very long time. They haven't landed yet. No, they still haven't landed. Jeff Cohen, you're a huge Phillies fan. We'll talk more Phillies in a little bit. How are you doing this week, sir? Well, I'm fine. I just wish I would be going to sleep a little bit earlier because the Phillies are usually leading until they get into their bullpen. Yeah, the West Coast games and the later games, uh, it it happens. And then the NHL overtime, they they keep you up pretty late, too. Yeah, which is pretty much every game. But it's it's great hockey. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you can't beat it. So let's get started uh, before we we go any further. Uh, Draft, okay? It's in the books. Uh, Last week we were... Live hearing picks. We got into a conversation about the height of our running back. Uh, we talked. Has about, he grown? <laughs> <laughs> Have I? <laughs> no, it's unlikely that he's grown this week. Uh, but I, I do think that people feel a little bit better about him right now than they did during the draft. In that they, they view him as a weapon. But let, let's let's get your thoughts, Jeff. How do you feel a week later after the draft about what the Eagles did? I think it was a very good draft. Uh, they they're going to have some immediate help uh, as on the uh, on the uh, defensive line. Uh, Barnett's going to be good, I think, and I think he's going to start. I think they helped themselves at cornerback with uh, uh, Rasul Douglas. I think he's going to he's going to play a lot next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they took a big risk at cornerback with Jones, but uh, we'll see. He might be able to come back, uh, if not uh, to play this year, then at least next year. And I also think they did did themselves uh, uh, good by uh, drafting those two uh, wide receivers, Hollins and uh, Gibson. I, I think that it was a balanced draft for them. Jeff Cohen, what is your analysis besides the height of our players? I think they did a great job in the first round. The only person I would have taken ahead of them maybe is Jonathan Allen. I don't like their running back, but I'm okay with the fact that they didn't take Wayne Gallman. Um the wide, re- I mean, the uh, cornerback, I just don't buy it all. Do you, I think it was a, a really bad decision with a team that's not that far out of playoff contention to a take a guy who's blown his Achilles. So let me ask you, is it playoff contention or Super Bowl contention? Because I think that they recognize that they're not far out of playoff contention, but they're shooting for Super Bowl contention, and that's what the Sydney Jones pick said to me. It said, we think we're going to be good next year, but we're not going to be great, and therefore we're going to make a longer-term investment there. For, for Eagles fans, I, I hope for the long term, it's great. 
but I just don't trust it. I, I, this is a process move. And, 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 we'll and have I a doc- don't trust the process. Well, <laughs> there we go. It's an asset for <laughs> it's you, an asset, Jeff. Right, yeah. We will have a doctor on with us in the third segment to talk about some of the recovery from some of these injuries as well. I also think they did a good job uh, uh, helping out on the defensive line now that Bo Allen is uh, on the disabled list and won't be back until somewhere in the in the in September maybe. So they, they uh, drafted this guy, Qualls, and uh, big guy, 6'1", six one, six one, but uh, 300 pounds, I think, something like that. And he's, he's gonna, he'll probably, he could fill in if, if he's good enough. So my two questions to you. Are the Eagles, I'll start with Jeff Cohen, are the Eagles a better team right now after the draft and offseason they've had than at the end of last year? Yes, because of the def- defensive end. Because of the defensive mm-hmm. end. And I think the wide receivers are long-term plays. I think that you have your starting wide receivers already in here. And I think that they're probably going to be short-term. Uh, like Alshon Jeffrey, I don't think he's here for the long-term. I don't, And I think that's why they drafted the tall wide receiver. I don't know that he's here for the long-term. But in the short-term next year, with Jordan Matthews being your basically your third wide receiving option instead of your first wide receiving option, I think you're instantly better in terms of targets and weapons. I'm really not sure what they're going to do at running back. I wonder whether they end up bringing in a free agent. They, um, do, they did. Uh, a guy named uh, Corey Bennett, I think it is. Yeah, I, I uh, mean, he's they, big. They, he's, they, he's, uh, yeah, that doesn't They count. brought in an, un, an undrafted <laughs> free agent, but I, I wonder whether they bring in like one of the, the older guys, older being in his 30s. Who's left? For the NFL. Uh, well, um, you've got LeGarrette Le- Le- Blunt still out there. Right. You've got a couple other running backs that are out there. Jamal Charles, obviously, is going to New Orleans, so he won't be uh, playing for no, the No, no, Peterson's going to New Orleans. Or Peter's going, Peterson's Charles going to Charles is going to the Broncos. The Broncos, to, that's to right. To face his old team twice. Yes, he's yeah. going to go up against the fighting Andy Reeds mm-hmm. twice a year, and that should be fun to watch. But I, I wonder whether that's what the Eagles end up doing is adding some depth for the short term there with, with somebody on a downside contract. That They're they going to have to. I mean, they don't have that much cap space anyway, so they don't have many options. And then you, know, you wonder whether running back becomes a priority next year for but them. They also have, a, um, and I don't see it on my list here, but um, Andrew Bonnet, he's, a, yeah. he's 6'3", and he's 250, um, and he, he's here as a fullback. Yeah, I, I just don't know if the team can depend on players that we've never heard of. Like well, we're, well, at some point, we're going to have to get some talent back there. But they've all played college football, and they're all they're all qualified to play on the Eagles, they, or they wouldn't have brought them in. You, some people would argue with that. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 I know this is another sport, but when you stalled there. I heard Andrew Bynum for a second, no, and that no, I guarantee no, no. you that that many of our <laughs> listeners just stopped in their cars. <laughs> so, so, Jeff Robert, you do think that the team is better going into next season? Oh yes, as absolutely, of right absolutely now. yes. Okay, so my follow-up question to you both: Did the Eagles do enough to address? options and weapons for Carson Wentz. I'll start yes. with Jeff Rupper. Yes, they have Wendell Smallwood, and they have uh, Pint Size Pumphrey, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they, they got a couple of uh, uh, wide receiver draft picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think they did. So are the Eagles going to be basically predicting what they're doing by the running backs that they have on the field? Like, there's no way that Pumphrey's going to be picking up a blitz. So if I'm a, I mean, he's going to get run over. So if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm loading up and putting pressure. And you're thinking that he's probably not going to get the handoff there. He's going to be a, a swing option at right. that point. Yeah. You're, the, all, all of their plays this year are going to have to be three-step drops. Is, unless, unless the offensive line gets better 
and assuming that Lane Johnson doesn't get himself in trouble again, that that you're going to have situations where he's going to have to do three-step drop throw. You're not going to get max protect with the team that they have now. Well, wait a minute. That worked out pretty well with Aaron Rodgers uh, against the Eagles last year, three-step drop and, and one, two, three, zip. That's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, right. Yeah. Can the Eagles win with that type of offense in the NFC East? With what they have now, no. And I don't think that they're the favorite going into the season. They're going to have to have some players develop. Does this mean that uh, Green Beckham will not be here based on what the Eagles have in terms of wide receivers? Aguilar will be on the team. Matthews, you got the two draft pick wide receivers, one of whom plays special teams. You've got Math, uh, you've got uh, Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. Have we seen the end of the Doriel Green Beckham experiment. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Is anybody sad about that? No. No. I, I'm not as well. No. I, I wonder. It's, speaking of uh, experiments, Riley Cooper is going to get a tryout with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, good. Yeah. Him and Huff. They Three years ago, yeah. he signed like a five-year, twenty-something million dollar a year deal, and or twenty-something uh, million dollar deal. To this day, I don't understand that deal. Chip Kelly, mm-hmm. and now he's going to have a tryout at the rookie camp for Tampa Bay. I mean, I ain't mad at him for collecting. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. You huh? know, you're you're worth what people pay you, I mm-hmm. guess. But I just never thought he was worth that. So, any other thoughts after the draft on what the Eagles did or didn't do? Surprises, things that disappointed you. Any thoughts? You know what? I didn't see them pick up any good guys in free agency. You didn't think that they that any of the players for no uh, there was there were some teams that did really well with that free agent crop of people that you can get drafted and I know none of those guys are going to be stars but I didn't see the Eagles really picking up anybody that would be worthwhile they did get the running back from Glassboro the local boy right. um, who played at Wisconsin so good we'll story see whether, but that's about we'll it. see whether he does anything yeah. on the team but well, that those are the players that Jeff will root for Jeff uh, loves the course. practice squad guys see, see last year he does he loves the story of. The, uh, the guys Tur- on Paul the practice Paul squad. Paul Turner, yeah. yeah. And, and which Turner. one of those guys helped win a Super Bowl? Well, nobody's won a Super Bowl. Don't rain on Jeff's parade, okay? <laughs> Let him enjoy the practice squad. He goes in the preseason, I, and I admire it. He finds the players that he thinks are talented that could end up coming up, and he follows them and wants to see them. I learned yes. that last season. Well, if, if they bring him onto the practice squad and, and it, somebody gets injured on the uh, – on the team, then they should bring those guys up. You should be following minor league sports. Minor league baseball so would be perfect for you to right, go in probably, there and, yeah. fi- and find those diamonds in the rough. Okay. That's yeah. how you find Brock Stassi. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of minor league baseball, let's transition away from football a little bit and move it over to Phillies baseball. Uh, not quite the best road trip that we were hoping for. One in six against Chicago and Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Jeff Cohen, give me your Phillies report. <laughs> I'm just sad. Uh, watching those games, you just you, you, they're late games. You want to stay up. You want to root for your team. And then they get to the sixth, seventh inning with a one or two run lead. And whoever comes in, it just didn't matter. It was whoever it was whoever was the pitcher of the day that was going to give up those runs. The pitcher du jour. It was it was terrible. Who would the fourth Phillies closer of the season be? Well, it was going to be Benoit. And, and, and it, we were watching the other day, and Benoit comes in, and I go, here we go. Watch. And what did he do? He gave up a home run. 
do the Phillies have any options for anybody that can close a game, or do their starters just need to throw nine innings? Because that's not going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. They don't. Ha- they don't have starters that have that kind of. Other than Eichoff, no. they don't have pitchers that are that have the makeup for that. Jeff Rupperg, your thoughts on the Phillies? Frustrating times. Uh, yeah, and I think that uh, Jen Mar Gomez looks like he's lost his confidence. He's lost something. Yeah. He's lost the baseball into yeah. the outfield Boy, a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> he never had the speed. So, <laughs> well, but look, last year he had what thirty-seven or thirty-eight saves. And, 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 and he's got a couple this year, too. And then all of a sudden, he's giving up uh, beach balls. Uh, he's giving up something. Those things are moonshots. And, I mean, you— The closer of the future is on the team right I, now. I was going to say, you have a, a thought of who the closer will be. You don't believe it's anybody that's currently in the bullpen. It or should in the be Velasquez. It, it, Vinny he, from Philly. He has shown time and time again that he's not going more than five innings. No matter what he does, no matter how few people he strikes out, Somehow he gets to the middle of the fourth and he's at 95 pitches. And, and you cannot have a starter who can't go six, seven innings consistently. And his arm, remember when they got him, one of the reasons people said that the Astros gave him up was because of his mechanics. And they said that he was going to be prone to injury and he wouldn't make it long term. So why not move him now? If you can convince him, it might be something that he's just too stubborn to do it. But if he wants a long career, he's got a hundred mile per hour fastball. I was gonna say he's got the fastball. What's his out pitch? What what is his second pitch that that as a closer? He has he has a curveball. Although most closers don't use. I was a gonna say ball. is that his? He has a changeup, but his fastball is his pitch. The, but the problem with his fastball is he's never located it well for for a consistent period of time. Well, I mean, I, I could throw a fastball to it. might just not land anywhere in the arena. That's kind well, of a problem. 62 miles an hour is not going to get many people out. I mean, Char- Charlie Sheen from Major League isn't going to kind of cut it when you're taking players' heads <laughs> off. Now, we, we have seen that. Unless in, you're Chris Sale. We've seen people throwing at each other in other series, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about in the next segment. Jeff Rutberg, your thoughts? <laughs> what, well, who I want to know who would replace uh, Velasquez in the uh, starting rotation. Well, you got some guys in the minors, and, and, and they're going to need to bring them up soon. You got Ben Lively. Ben Lively's a middle of the road pitcher. I think he's got the mentality to be a starter. He's got the pitchers to be a better. I hate using this name, but better than Kyle Kendrick. Um, you, <laughs> he was consistent, wasn't he? He was consistently and, and, yeah. mediocre. Uh, that's yeah, but, the problem but, but with him. But if he's 8-8, eight and eight, that's better than what they have now. Well, if he's your third or fourth pitcher, it's different than if he's your first or second pitcher. Right. And okay. that's that's the challenge for the Phillies is they have to find, you know, we said the word last week, they have to find horses. They have to find who their, their number one and number two pitchers are going to be so then the rotation can fall in behind it. If, if Vinny Velasquez is going to go to the bullpen, who comes in? What's the pitching order for these guys? Nola's still on the DL. Right. Buckles gone for the season. Mm-hmm. You know, Icos, never to be seen again. Never to be seen again in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So, what's your? You know, I don't think the the Nick Phillies Pavetta. have. A, okay. You got Nick Pavetta, who already had a start. He had a shaky first couple innings, and then he he, you know, grounded out. And um, Boa loves him. Okay. Uh, Boa's been raving about him. You got. Ricardo Pinto at AAA, he's doing well. You got Jake Thompson, who was in the Cole Hamels trade, which, by the way, Cole Hamels is now out for two months. Um, he's, he's now out for two he's months? He's out for two months with, a, with an oblique injury. Ooh. Um, and you got Jake Thompson. I mean, not Jake Thompson. You got Mark Appel, who isn't a guy that, that I think there's a future for. I know he was a number I think he was a number one pick when he was taken. He just has not panned out, but he's on the 40-man roster, and the Phillies are going to have to make a decision 
because you don't want to lose some other player because Appel's on the roster. So I have a feeling Appel's going to be up here at some point, not because he merits it, but because they got to decide whether it's time to push him out. How long until Alfaro comes up and we have a different catcher? Because Tommy Joseph has had his ups and downs, and well, Cameron Rupp's had his ups and downs. And Well, it um, depends. If you're going to go on the old Phillies philosophy, which is keep guys down for a long time until they're definitely ready, or you're going to do what like the Yankees have done the last couple years now, if you're going to go the Yankees strategy, it's time to bring Alfaro up. Alfaro, as of the time that we're doing this show, his batting average is 318. He's got three home runs. He's got 13 RBIs. He's scored a bunch of runs, and he's got a gun for an arm. Now, the, the knock on him was is that he does not work with pitchers as well as maybe Rupp does. But that you're either going to you're going to learn that. Wouldn't you want to bring him up so that he can learn from some veterans and watch them call games and yeah. and sit on the bench and see it and be a backup? Or do you or is the theory you want him to continue playing every day? No, I want him to play every day, but I want him to play up every day. So you up want him here. to learn as the starter, and you yeah, don't. Yeah, the, you know. the Phillies are not contending for the division right now. The Nationals are going to run away with it. So so why not bring this guy up? It's it's clear the AAA pitching he can hit. Okay, so what does he have to gain being down there as opposed to throwing up here? And and I have to say, I love Cameron Rupp. He's he's the kind of guy in Philadelphia that you can rally around. People will probably never forget when he got bowled over, face in the dirt, and held up the ball. But but he bats around the Mendoza <laughs> line. He's inconsistent with his power. He's not the future of this organization. All right, how about, how about, how about Andrew Knapp? He's not the future of this organization. So he's he's going to be a career backup catcher. So before we head to break, let's talk about who's hot and who's not in the minors. We got Reese Hoskins, mm-hmm. who's sort of become your big name in the minors. And by the way, I'd bring him up now, too. You'd bring him up now yeah. as well. Tom, Tommy Joseph is another one that's been around forever. He switched positions. He had the concussion issues before when he was a catcher. So you believe uh, the future is now in terms of having them here to learn on the job? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I, I mean, how long can you have guys that are batting two hundred? Well, I mean, well, we're, we're already well, into the middle of May. Well, but he did well last year. Speaking of guys who aren't batting well, what is he wrong platooned. with Crawford and Cousins? Crawford apparently it was it was there was something in the way he was holding his hands. He's figured out the last couple days. The, and, and his swing has gotten back to what it's before. For some reason, the Phillies think that his poise is going to get him through this. But in the meantime, we have a pretty damn good shortstop. We have Freddie Galvis, who, other than the other night when he threw the ball away in the 13th inning, is a gold glove shortstop who hits very well for his position. So I'm not worried about get Crawford. I'd give him time. I still think he has a chance to be the face of the organization. And the Phillies obviously do. And Cousins? Cousins, I, I don't get it. The guy has struck out literally 50% of the time he's been at bat. So, and he's still, he's, he is a mammoth guy. He looks like Aaron Judge from the Yankees. He's, he's tall. Oh, I only he, wish he was like yeah, that. Yeah, but he's more athletic than Judge is. He's an outfielder, and he's got some speed. All right, and Isn't it something, so there is a difference between AA and AAA. There's a huge difference. Double yeah. A is mostly fastballs. When you get to AAA, you get a lot of the guys that have come back from the majors, and even though they weren't successful in the majors, they throw a lot of off-speed stuff. And Cousins is now going through that struggle of can he hit the off-speed and, stuff. And so is Crawford because he's not hitting real well either. Yeah. All right. You're listening to, to the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. 
When we return, we're going to talk about fan behavior at stadiums, specifically bad fan behavior at stadiums, and how fans can lose their season tickets for arguing at the stadium. Stay right with with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jeff Rutberg with Jason Springer and Jeffrey Cohen. All right. In this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about fan and athlete behavior. And as Philadelphians, we always get a bad rap as fans for our supposed behavior that that covers all of us when there's actions of some, not all. Jeff, we had an incident in Boston this week with the fans up there with Baltimore playing. Why don't you recap for our listeners what happened, and then let's talk about it a little bit. Well, the Boston Red Sox were hosting the Baltimore Orioles, and Adam Jones was uh, yelled at by some fans. They threw peanuts at him, and they called him a racial slur. Um, That pretty much sums it up. But there was a second incident. I'm not sure if it was the same the, the game, night same, after the night after when yep. a, another fan um, heard a racial slur from a guy behind him and reported and reported him it to right. security. Right, asked them to say it again. Mm-hmm. The guy said it again, and he was thrown out. He of was the thrown stadium. out, and, and he and was banned. Yes. And he was banned. So, are we now at a stage where fans need to police each other at these games? Is that what's going on here? I, I think we've been at that stage for a long time. I mean, look, we all go to a lot of sporting events. I would assume that everybody listening to this goes to a lot of sporting events. I don't think it matters what city, regardless of what the national media thinks. I've been to over half of the major league ballparks. And I can tell you it's it's worse at a lot of places than it is in Philadelphia. But that's not baseball. the reputation. I thought we're the worst people ever. Yeah, well, the, you know, the, once you get characterized a certain way, it's you get a stereotype and we have a stereotype but i could tell you i've been to st louis which is supposed to be the bastion of baseball and and have heard much worse things than i've heard in philadelphia and, and i've heard some bad things at the flyers games too well there's bad things everywhere but you can't paint entire fan bases with the actions of some people now if you're going to give criticism but, give some credit the next night the boston fans gave him a standing ovation afterwards 
tried to at least show that it wasn't all of them. Jeff, you weren't. You didn't think that was good enough. Yeah, I'm rolling my eyes at that. I, I, Boston has a history of this more than most cities. I mean, it, it dates back to Bill Russell used to talk about it when he was the star of their team. Their team. It, it's for some reason you don't want to paint an entire fan base. And Boston is not a bad place. It's an amazing city with amazing people. But there is a decent sized group of people that go to sporting events in Boston and for whatever reason don't have any inhibition about throwing out racial slurs. I mean, not just stopping with cursing at players, but saying really harmful things in front of their kids. And in front of other children and in front of adults. And it just baffles the mind that the word would come out of somebody's mouth, let alone that it would come out in a public place with lots of people around them that are not of the same mind. Well, you should hear what what goes on at Eagles games. (laughs) I I don't think I, I don't know that they're comparable, though. Like saying somebody is a bum and screaming at them is not yelling a racial epithet at them. And 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 I'm not saying that anybody's. You know, again, we can talk about what are the rights as ticket holders. But again, you see what goes on at any game. Somebody goes to a game and does something and then it taints the whole fan base. So you look at a pattern from past behavior and say that you give less of uh, excuse for current behavior because you've seen it before. No, what, what I'm saying is I'm not I'm not discounting what the remainder of the Boston fan base did the next night. But I'm saying it doesn't make up for what happened because most Boston Red Sox games are sold out or close to it. There were hundreds of fans within earshot and nobody said anything to this guy. They just all sat there because nobody wants to get in a fight. Nobody wants to make their experience uncomfortable. Do you know how uncomfortable it is to be sitting there with your child or sit even, even without a child and somebody yelling that word? I can tell you, I took my son to see uh, 42 when it came out a couple years ago. And there's a scene, if anyone hasn't seen it, where Jackie Robinson's in Philadelphia. And a guy is just constantly taunting Jackie Robinson using racial slur. I thought, in, I thought they toned that down in the movie. Yeah, but, but it, 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 uh, the, I actually saw people in their seats in the movie theater squirm down. Like, it was so uncomfortable to watch that. Well, this is happening in real life. And it is completely unacceptable. And I can tell you, I'm not saying everybody should do it. I'm, I'm tall, so I can get away with it. But there have been times where people have said stuff. And I'm with my kid. And I turn around and say, cut it out. Because you just can't sit there and let people throw this kind of nonsense out. Now, uh, Boston, the Red Sox, I believe, were the last um, baseball team to integrate. And, and the Phillies were the last National League team to integrate. So and it was that was ten years after Jackie Robinson. So it's been going on. And the Phillies were known as being uh, really racist. The, the 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 team owners and the whole the whole culture back in in the forties. Let's talk a little bit about the rights of fans in this in this situation. I you know I hear people say freedom of speech. They can go and say anything they want. I've got my legal advisor here, Jeff Cohen. <laughs> Break it down for me. What is allowed when you go to the game? People assume that freedom of speech means you can say whatever you want, wherever you want, anytime, in front of anyone. There, there's, you know, the case where somebody yelled fire in a crowded movie theater. You're not allowed to do that. The issue with sports, first of all, sports teams can pretty much do whatever they want. 
that the ticket is a license to enter their game. And if they don't like what they hear, they can throw you out. Have you read the back of the ticket? You're a lawyer, so you've like well, read they don't. The I don't have print, backs right. of tickets anymore. Now it's just a barcode on my phone. So, <laughs> so, so we don't even have that because I didn't understand the legalese to begin with. So mm-hmm. I never look at the back of the ticket. I look at the picture on the front of the ticket and where my seat is. Right. Well, but I don't look at what rights I'm giving away or what they tell me on the back of the it's, ticket. It, it, it's not even all on the back of the ticket. It's on their website on little tiny print that nobody has ever clicked on. And you know, you could if you look at the number of users for that particular click, it's probably zero. But the only interesting point of this is where, where it gets dicey is because a lot of these stadiums are either public-private partnerships or some are owned by the city, and people have said, well, if, it's a, if I'm walking to an event that's owned in a stadium that's owned by the city or the state, then I should be able to say whatever I want. It's freedom of speech versus whether I walk into a private arena that's owned by a team. If it's owned by a team, there's no question. They can kick you out for whatever they want. They can kick you out because the sign's too big that you're holding. Remember, Sign Man. Sign Man, And they 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 stopped letting him do that. Right. So they're permitted to do this, and it's never gone anywhere in the courts because nobody wants that kind of decision up there. So if, if there's a fan out there who hasn't done something wrong, who actually got kicked out, which makes no sense, but if, if we had that perfect plaintiff who wasn't willing to take money and would take it all the way up, you'd have a decision that could really hurt sports teams, but I don't think you're ever going to have that person. They get, they get banned. Like the, uh, in the NFL beginning in 2015, mm. A, uh, a fan banned from one stadium is banned from all the NFL stadiums. Uh, the league uh, will share information between teams through a centralized database. So Major League Baseball doesn't do that? And by the way, that brings up the monopoly point. Because, yes, because the, N- the NFL is sitting there saying that they're acting as if they're one entity. Um, but, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, the, how many times have you heard of a fan being banned who didn't do something wrong? Well, right. Um, I, w- I was looking this up. It was, it's interesting. The first time it happens, if, if they run out onto the field, I remember this case against the Phillies about six years ago. G- the guy was turning 21, I think, <laughs> and he was out in center field with a friend, and he, he texted his dad saying that in the seventh inning, he's going to run out onto the field. The dad texts him back, don't do it. It's not a good idea. How to work out. <laughs> well, he, Good dad. He, 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 yeah. He, he runs out onto the field, and it's uh, the, the opposing team, I think it was the Giants, are in the field because the center fielder said, I'm, I wasn't getting involved in this. I just got out of his way. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't asking for an autograph. And he runs around. Now the Philly police come out there, and they're trying to catch him, and they can't get him because the – the, the police officers are all in their, probably in their 40s. And running and this around. Guy, yeah. And, and that's what tasers are for. And that's what they did. They finally got him and they tasered him and he, he was banned for life. Well, so, look, I mean, this so, has happened so, in Chicago with the but, White Sox. You had the, the guys jump out of the stands and attack the it, first base coach. Right. Look, I, I, when, I was, when I was a kid, we went to a New Jersey Generals game and uh, the, the friend who took us to the game, it was his father's tickets, and he decided he was going to jump out and start dancing with the cheerleaders. It, yeah, it seems funny when you're a teenager, but I'll tell you right now, all you have to do is point to the, the Monica Sellis incident where a fan came out and stabbed her. And, and, and from, that, from that point forward, this all changed. And at that, from that point forward, if somebody steps onto a, on a, onto a field, they should immediately tase them. 
Wow. So um, don't play around because how do you know that person doesn't have a knife? Right. Well, there was a there was a uh, a fan whose mother died, and she wanted her ashes spread out all over the uh, football field. Well, and he he ran out and spread look, them all. People out. can have their own justifications. It doesn't make it right. No, and it doesn't no. make it legal for them to do. And there is a safety issue for the players. Now, I, I will say I do enjoy uh, Kevin Harlan on the radio whenever a fan runs on the field because uh, Major League Sports try not to give attention to the fan on the field so mm-hmm. they don't show it. Right. They just will put the camera like up in the air or right. away or into the booth. But Kevin Harlan will call the play-by-play of them chasing down the fan <laughs> on the field. And there have been some fantastic audio from that. But Jeff... Whatever you, happened to the kissing bandit? Oh, man, there's all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Jeff, but, you're, a, you're a fan, though. You, you have season tickets. Yeah, so right. if you run on the field, you would oh. expect to be banned. Well, well, but what happens if you give your tickets to me and I run on the field? Well, then I can, I can lose my season tickets. I don't think that's fair. Um, if, if I sell my tickets to friends or, or, uh, or strangers... I'm not. Re- How can I be responsible for their actions? Well, you made if I'm the not there? you made the sale. I made the sale. So what I do with some of my friends if they're going to cheer for the other make team, make them promise not to run on the field. I, I tell them, you know, <laughs> behave yourself. I can lose my season tickets, yeah. and I tell them, uh, don't wear your Dallas Cowboys uh, jersey there. I don't oh, want see, you to Jeff, get beaten that's up a, either. Jeff, that's a fail. You can't sell your tickets to a Dallas Cowboys. I was fan. thinking the same thing. You cannot. Have you done that? Do no, that. No, no, oh, okay. no, no, that that I've is not acceptable. But uh, but actually actually in fact actually, in fact wait, if wait, you wait. sell your tickets to a Cowboys fan yeah. you should have your tickets taken away. I oh, think that yeah. that should be in the fan code uh-huh, right. as well. Well well he, does this count? Like a, a friend of mine and his son came. Now the son uh, was a, an Eagles fan, but but, uh, but Gary's uh, roots for the Cowboys. Ah, oh, Jeff. And he wore his cap. Jeff, you're killing and, me. And, yeah, people around me were uh, glaring at me. I'm but, sure uh, you yeah. deserved it at that point. You you brought somebody in <laughs> but, there but for I, that. I, I brought my wife to a Saints game once. Yeah. And uh, she's wearing a Saints cap. Because oh, she, she worked for Jeff. the yeah, but nobody cares actually, about the Saints. She works for the she worked for the uh, Saints down in New Orleans when we were down there. And uh, fans around me, long-time uh, uh, season ticket holders. What are you doing? Well, what are you doing? What's the matter? Uh, come on. Oh, she's my know. wife. She's my wife. She can do whatever. I'm, you know. <laughs> they want you to leave her <laughs> behind because <laughs> she roots for a different team. Different team. Right. It's hard enough being a Saints fan. Getting well, a hard, giving someone a hard time because they're a Saints Je- fan just doesn't yeah, seem they, fair. Jeff, no, and you believe that, that Jeff Rupert should be responsible, though, if somebody yeah, runs on the field. Not just if they're a Dallas fan, but in all seriousness, if somebody takes an action that's deemed unacceptable and they're thrown out of the stadium, you do believe that Jeff should be responsible yeah, and, and lose And I'm tickets. somebody who's had season tickets, and I'll sell them on StubHub. But, and every time I do, I pause and say, what happens if some bonehead buys right, these right. tickets and acts like a jerk, and I lose my tickets? But... You know what? It's it's my responsibility. I bought those tickets. So 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 uh, now, and they're still selling beer, right? They they cut it off in the uh, third quarter, but they're sure still they going to sell. Yeah, right. Well, they sell beer, <laughs> and they encourage people to drink a beer when they yeah. get hot, right? And they and, encourage someone to get it right before they cut it off. Right, right. Get that last yeah, one, e- even though they've had four or five already. Mm-hmm. But I, I do happen to believe that people should be responsible if they're selling their tickets for the actions that people take. Oh, how, when they're how there. Can, how can you do that? Well, you signed a license to get the tickets. Didn't you sign a personal, personal seat, license? seat license? And so right, that said yeah. that those are your seats. And if something happens in your seats, you're responsible for what happens. Again, I don't read the legalese because I don't understand <laughs> it. But my attorney here could well, tell you that you have given away the right to responsibly have that seat if and, somebody doesn't have it the and, right And way. most teams were, would be reasonable about it. I'm, I'm guessing if you sold it on StubHub, especially since now – Companies like StubHub have relationships with these sports teams. So if you sold it on an, uh, from an organization that they promote you doing that, 
I'm guessing that if somebody you don't know goes there and acts like a jerk and they throw them out for that game, that they're probably not going to get rid of your tickets. I'm not, I try not to take that chance by <laughs> selling them to uh, friends of mine. So people um, with cowboys hats yeah and and with giants hats and uh, no well, that's giants. okay no 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 <laughs> actually Eagles i had a friend fans. i had a friend of mine who 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 uh, has season tickets he paints his face uh the, the eagles i'm colors. cool with that yeah, okay oh the dreaded so, face so he, he does tail- i mean i wouldn't do it but he, he does tailgating uh-huh and he said to me you can come you can come and he told me where it was he said but if you bring someone who's rooting for another team don't even ta- bring him into the lot because they would get killed before they So you mean get you there. mean to tell me he knows that you why sell tickets that, to though? other people. Why is that? Why why can't somebody from another team who supports another team go to the game without the assumption that if they get beat up or abused that it's okay? It it's it's not okay for that to happen. It's not okay. But, but people but, say that. I, I've yeah. heard it time and time again when you hear of uh, assaults happening and abuse and beer, people having beer pouring on their heads that they deserved it because they're a fan of, they're wearing a jersey from another team. I think it's the fans that made that rule up. It's not, yeah, it's not I, the team. It's ridiculous because I'll tell you, I'll, I will go all over the country wearing a Phillies jersey and I never get abuse. I've gone to City Field, nobody said a word to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's different than with the uh, the Eagles. It's a it's a little different. I hear. I, I think it's Oakland wrong and San Diego is a whole. Let's different Let's talk a little story, bit about but. the player behavior as we're running long on the segment here. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the idea of uh, policing itself and throwing at each other, Jeff Cohen? You're not a fan. No, I'm not a fan of that. You either. don't like it when somebody throws a fastball at somebody else's head. Oh no. wait a minute. Okay, it's ridic- it's ridiculous. Thing. I mean, this whole thing with Adam Jones, it, it, this all started, or it was actually Manny P- Machado with regard to that Orioles-Red Sox incident. Manny P- Machado slid into somebody. It was determined to be a legal slide. Pedroia happened to get hurt, and they threw it at him. They threw at him not once, not twice, three times. And Chris Sale decided that the day after the Adam Jones incident. He thought right after the standing ovation, literally the batter, right after the standing ovation for Adam Jones, that was the perfect time to throw a 97-mile-per-hour fastball right behind his head. But that's been going on in baseball for 100 years. Doesn't make it right. Well, but I, Don Drysdale used to be great at that, missing you by an inch right at your chin. I spoke to— I'm uh, surprised uh, you're okay with that, Jeff. I am okay. Well, I spoke to a, uh, a client of mine many years ago. He was a—, uh, a a relief pitcher for the uh, one of uh, the Newark Bears, who is a uh, farm team for the uh, New York Giants. This is back in the 30s, and he said, uh, "I asked him what would happen if a uh, you threw a ball and the uh, batter hit a home run, and he's dancing around the uh, bases. La di da, look what I just did." He said, "The next time that batter came up, whether he was the pitcher or he was another pitcher was up." Uh, the ball would be going right towards the guy's head. If he got out of the way, great. If he didn't, so they would award him first base. Is that right? Yeah, well, that's that's the way they play the game. Is well, that right? Is it right? Well, to let him know, you're not going to you're not going to run around the bases like that. Cuz there's etiquette. Cuz god forbid that somebody ran around the bases celebrating the fact that they just hit a home run. Right, that a pitch right. yes. it, Here's an idea, pitcher. Don't throw a home run. Make a better pitch. Next time, strike them out. Don't sit there and throw at somebody's head and risk their life and career. If somebody gets hit in the head, 
they could die. Well, that's why they have batting helmets. That, that, that doesn't stop it every time. I because will. if they turn into a pitch, it could hit them in the face. It hit, could hit them sure. in the back okay. of the skull. Yeah. It could ruin their career if it hits them in a certain spot in, the, in that, any but, part of their body. But that's why if you're good at it, you won't get caught at it. Well, wait, the wait. umps are aware hold, of it Hold now. on. You just talked about Don Drysdale and how he was perfect at it. Did every single pitch that Don Drysdale threw, was it a strike? No, no. No. So there's no way that you can say that a pitcher is so good that it's a, with Chris Sale is a perfect example. He threw a 97 mile per hour fastball right behind Machado's head. Did it hit him? No. Okay. So it's okay. What happens right, if so, it slips one time? Okay, it slips. Sometimes it slips. Sometimes they don't mean it. They, and the fighters get hit. Oh, he meant now, it. And now they come out with their bats. They're going to kill the pitcher. This is not an argument that I thought Jeff Rutberg would be making. It, I'm really surprised that that you're okay with it and that Jeff Cohen is not. It's I, part of the game. I thought that Jeff Cohen would be more it's part of the game as the baseball you know, guy for minor leagues, and you, you wouldn't want it because of the violence that it brings to the game. It's not figure skating. It's baseball. I I'm shocked. I don't even know what else to say before we go to the break. <laughs> Jeff, why don't you take us to break so I can figure out what to I'm say speechless. when we come back. <laughs> okay. Jeff, right. you surprised me. Go ahead. All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. It's time for our final break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about athletes and the recovery from injury with a very well-known orthopedic uh, surgeon in the area. Stay with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey. Those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. Great to be back with you on the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. I'm Jeff Rutberg, along with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. So last week we had the NFL draft, and we talked about a lot of the players with red flags, particularly with injuries, including some that the Eagles took, some that the Eagles passed on. And we decided what better to do than find ourselves an orthopedic surgeon. So we have Dr. John Kelly of Penn Medicine joining us on the phone today to sort of break down what the recovery hopes are for some of our players. Dr. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. great to be here. Thank you so much. I uh, I'm, know you're a big sports fan watching the draft last week, and you see in the second round that the Eagles decide to take Sidney Jones. 
they take a player who's recovering from a torn Achilles. And what is your first thought as a doctor? Well, you know, uh, I'm a wounded warrior myself, uh, Jason. I've had Achilles surgery uh, in part for my, I call it, imminently forgettable football career. But it's a tough injury. I was surprised. Uh, having done the surgery numerous times and following the literature, it's a little surprising they took him that high because the, the sports medicine literature is pretty clear. That you lose a little bit of push-off strength. Uh, you lose a little bit of ability from the surgery. And it's been the end. It's been the kibosh on, on many a career, including, remember, uh, I'm a considerably older than you, Jason, but Dominique Wilkins. Yeah, right. Dan Marino, uh, others. Even Ryan Howard with his Achilles. He was never really the and same. Howard Achilles. And, I, and, you know, I myself had the surgery several years ago, but, you know, you don't come back 100% unless there are outliers. You're scaring me, Dr. Kelly. It's much more of a liability than, say, a... You know, meniscus tear, MCL sprain. So I was frankly surprised. So obviously, he must have had a good 40-yard dash time, but it, that is the exception rather than the rule. In fact, you know, there's a big uh, movement now in orthopedics to treat these without surgery, and the one benefit of surgery is that potentially you lower the recurrence rate uh, and you have a little higher push-off strength. But having said that, even in the best of hands with surgery, there's still a measurable difference in what we call uh, push-off strength uh, as, the, as the athlete just commences to push off, and there's still a little bit of a re-rupture rate. So I was frankly surprised at that. So if we're a fan who wants to see the best player on the field, should we hope that they just sit him out this season and let him recover? Is that what you would recommend as a doctor? Uh, I, I, what I'm saying is that even in the best of hands, I'm not so sure it ever time may not be a, a real element here. It's just that it's all about establishing the length-tension relationship of the Achilles. And, and, and when you do the surgery, there's a little bit of lengthening that goes on during rehab. It sort of stretches out. So I'm not so sure waiting uh, much longer is going to help. It's going to be either either he really did well, he was a lucky one that had a great result. Uh, and I believe when I do this surgery, I'm real slow at the rehab. But after about six, seven months, I think waiting a little longer is not going to make a big deal. You'll know by six, seven months post-op whether this, this uh, athlete is going to really show some uh, limited deficits versus the people that tank like the Dominique Wilkins and Dan Marino's is two factors. The fact that he had a tear rather than a rupture and that he's only 20 years old, do either of those influence his ability or likelihood to recover better? Well, you know, young people, young people usually, in, uh, just as a principle, recover better, but not really. The thing that's surprising is, you know, we see sort of age-related pathology, and uh, I, don't, I don't see many 20-year-olds rupture their Achilles. So this is nomenclature a tear, you know, I think it's a rupture. So it depends on, you know, it's it's really the wordsmithing here. A tear, unless he had a partial tear, it's a different animal. From my understanding, it was a full thickness tear, which is the same thing as a rupture. It's just that you don't see this injury very commonly in people that are under age 35. Dr. Kelly, you're scaring me. some degeneration with the tendon. Yeah. <laughs> you're scaring me. I, I had hope, and now all of a sudden I'm worried. Jeff, you have a question. I think, well, he could come back in, uh, say, November. Correct? Yeah. I mean, in the words of Jimmy Carter, I'm cautiously optimistic, but frankly, I'm just telling it like it is, folks, that uh, this is a bad actor. This is not like your, you know, quad strain or hamstring injury, and it, it has a notorious record for being uh, a career ender, okay? That's the history behind this injury, and there are outliers. There are exceptions. You and that's know, been uh, Jeff Cohen's right now, point about the draft is that he thought that they reached for a player 
who had an extensive recovery ahead of him and may not come back to what he was. Yeah, and, and doctor, with regard to this injury, while he's rehabbing from this injury, when he comes back, is he going to have any greater risk of injuries to other parts of his leg or his body, body yeah. from, uh, from overcompensating? Yeah, we, we talk in sports medicine, this whole term called kinetic chain, everything's linked. So if you have weakness in one segment, it pushes increased demand up, upstream or downstream. So, yeah, I think that same side of the knee is a little higher risk, that same side of the hip and so forth. But that's not what we talk about most. What we talk about in this injury is the loss of push-off strength, the loss of speed, and the uh, higher risk of recurrent rupture, which is higher than a native Achilles. So these are things that have me concerned uh, I'm not, not going to lose sleep over it, but truthfully, it was a surprise to me because this is an injury that has significant morbidity and consequences. Wow. Oh, boy. Now, now all okay. of a sudden, i got to figure out how to ask you my next question after that. So in the first <laughs> round, the Eagles went with Derek Barnett and passed on another defensive tackle in Jonathan Allen, who apparently has early arthritis in his shoulder. As a shoulder doctor, would that have scared you away uh, and have been a red flag to watch out for? Well, these are great questions, guys, but the um, the short answer is short-term no, long-term yes. Thankfully, we don't walk on our arms, and I just went online and looked at some of the details of his uh, status, and he apparently had measurable arthritis on X-ray, which is concerning for a young guy. But he also did, like, 21 reps with 225 in the bench press. So the short answer, long-term, probably a big problem. He's going to play in the NFL, and the average life uh, expectancy in the NFL is only about four years. I'd say anything after four or five years, you may have someone who's going to have it limited by pain and not be able to work out. But I don't think the next two, three years is no big deal. Uh, uh, we don't walk on our arms. So we'll be able to run the ball or run and you know uh, tackle and so forth. But it's not a good sign for a long career to have arthritis. In your early 20s. Uh, how about... You had labor, labor repairs, which, you know, we do the surgery all the time, but sometimes, uh, you know, it's the injury upon impact that no matter what, in the best hands of surgery, they still get arthritis in the shoulder anyway. How about what would, uh, would he be at risk for, say, uh, rotator cuff problems? Um, no direct... Uh, again, great question. Not directly. He'd be at risk for probably maybe... Uh, you know, like a, a lower uh, downstream injury, like an elbow or wrist or something, because the shoulders are being immobile. Because when, whenever you have arthritis of shoulders, you always, by definition, lose some motion. So the fact that his shoulders are going to be a little stiffer means he's going to put more demands on his elbow and wrist. So that's the only thing I would think of long term. And, and, and the other thing is the pain of his shoulders will probably not affect him game day because of the adrenaline, but they will affect his training if ultimately he won't be able to lift as much. And, you know, he may lose the edge. You know, bench pressing is the anathema of shoulders. Right? So if you have shoulder arthritis, I tell my patients, don't bench. So it's pretty hard to compete in the NFL without really doing heavy lifting. So that's the, indirectly it's going to affect his play because you won't be able to train. But on the field, I would say safely the next three, four years, eh, no big deal. It's after that. that, that and that was some of the concern that, that scared people away is if you're looking for a player with a longer-term career, you don't want somebody that after four years may be a question. While we're on shoulders, San Francisco jumped up into the first round and took another player that people wanted the Eagles to take, and Reuben Foster. He had shoulder surgery, and now they're saying with his recovery, he may have to have 
another surgery and might miss the whole season. Would that concern you as a doctor if the first surgery on the shoulder didn't do the job to repair what was wrong? Oh, absolutely. I don't know the particulars about his case, but I suspect he had young people get instability. Older people like me get rotator cuff tears. So he probably had a little instability lesion and maybe just wasn't addressed enough. And if they talk about open surgery, then you have limitations of rotator cuff strength and uh, the arthritis risk and so forth. I'd be concerned. I'd definitely be concerned because uh, obviously uh, he has continued instability. And having had shoulder instability myself, it takes away your confidence on the field. You don't know if you can tackle a person with an arm going out. So so surely I'd be concerned about that one. How, how about uh... – uh, switching uh, to uh, Joel Embiid now. Yeah, we so we're big. Uh, Jeff is not big on trusting the process. He doesn't like assets, and he's not very patient. And he's frustrated that Joel Embiid has now had knee, foot, and back problems as a sixer. So, so doctor, don't, no pressure, but uh, it's up to you to make Jeff feel more comfortable about the Sixers. <laughs> yeah, well, have a good, have a good. I have a good therapist for you, Jeff. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's how not should, promising for the sh- answer, is it? How should we feel yeah. as a fan? Uh, he played limited minutes this year. The foot seemed to hold up. The back seemed to hold up. I, I joked earlier on the show in earlier months that I was actually relieved that it was a knee injury as opposed to a foot or a back The re-injuring the previous injury. Is that just naive of me and hoping that he's going to be okay? Well, <laughs> uh, you know... You know how I love you to death there, Jason, but it is a little naive because, you know, the reality is the young guy. When I was his age, I didn't have a care in the world, right? So you've had three pretty much um, overuse-type injuries, and overuse injuries happen usually when people have a predisposition for, like, weakened tissue or whatever. Of all the things that happen to Joel B, the thing that concerns me most is this lateral meniscus. Having treated a lot of basketball players over the years, when I see lateral meniscus tears in basketball players, that is often uh, what I call the beginning of the degenerative cascade. They have a little bit of wear and tear. The lateral meniscus is much, 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 much more important than the medial meniscus in terms of preserving joint function and preventing arthritis. So the fact that Joel Embiid has this lateral meniscus, and it, 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 I, I went through the press reports. They dismissed it as small. I knew his surgeon, a good surgeon in California, small tear. But let me tell you something. When you have a, a basketball player with a lateral meniscus tear, that's not a good thing because that's the sort of beginning of wear and tear. And then he'll have a few good years, but let's just say his his career, in my humble opinion, is going to be shortened. What about what about the relation between that injury and the foot injury that he came into the league with? Well, I, again, we're dealing with kinetic chain things, so maybe his foot might have been bothering me, putting more demands upstream on that knee. Uh, but the foot um, should not be a long-term problem. It's just a lot of this just scares me because I've operated on some of these players and and you get in there, and they have a little bit of wear and tear, and they, you turn the meniscus, and then you see an X-ray a year later, I'm like eh, a little more narrowing, and then another year goes by, and then the, and they start getting these effusions, or knee starts blowing up. It's just the beginning of some wear and tear, and I'm not trying to be uh, you know alarmist, but uh, let's just say that lateral meniscus injuries in basketball players scare me because they put so much demand on the lateral meniscus, and, that, and um, it's, it's not a good thing. Is there anything oh, that he? Oh, is there anything? Years, believe me, but. Let's just say he's not going to be one of these guys that's going to play till he's 35, okay? Is there anything that he can do with regard to the knee in order to protect it? Yeah, that's a very, very controversial subject, and I believe in, you know, vitamins in the, the – uh, some of the basketball players I treat, I give them the uh, hyaluronic acid injections in six months, uh, you know, landing techniques and strengthening and bracing during uh, – but once you start seeing wear and tear changes, then it's a different ballgame. So the short answer is 
the stopgap measures, uh, Jeff, but there's no real tried and true way that uh, we can slow the natural process. And that means sometimes holding from practice sometimes until their knee calms down. And what does, that, what does that do, that hyaluronic uh, uh, acid? Uh, I'm, I'm mispronouncing it. I'm sorry. It's like a lubricant to the knee, and, you oh. know, uh, there's different brand names out there. I get no commercial interest at all, but uh, it's uh, either genetically engineered or made from booster cones. And it's basically a lubricant, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and it gives our patients, and maybe some of it's placebo, but I've seen so many, of it wor- so many times at work uh, in delaying, uh, we call effusions, swelling. And it's just like giving the, the, the patient like a little bit of lube job for six months. And I have many, many basketball players that come in every six months to a year, and it gets them through the season. How about that? So that dancing that he did on, on stage, uh, that uh, couldn't have helped him. <laughs> I, I was less worried about the dancing on stage and more the him being back in the game to re-injure himself. Were you, were you surprised, Dr. Kelly, that... It was a day-to-day injury that ended up becoming the rest of the season. I, I mean, it just seemed like it yeah, went you know, from I, minor to I, the end. I, I know the particulars. I didn't really like see his scans or anything like that, but you know, it's always a good idea when they try to keep him out of the OR. That's always, to me, a, a laudable thing for doctors. They have good team doctors. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I just see that as their team uh, staff just saying, let's just do what we can to help this kid get over this without surgery. It's always a good thing. You know, people rush to surgery sometimes, you know, scare me too. So, and, you know, you just don't know how I presented. Now, once they get fluid in me, then I get a little more noibus, as we say in New York, because that to me means a mechanical problem. And those things don't go away with rehab. Those things need usually a surgical solution. So, so am I understanding right that, that you would seem a little more optimistic about Ben Simmons injuries then? Um, ben Simmons had the, uh, the Jones fracture. So, yeah, absolutely. That's a non-joint it's a fracture of the fifth metatarsal, um, and that's one of those injuries where, where operations are usually the conservative thing. You put a screw across it. Not only do you make it heal faster, but you ensure that he doesn't do it again. You guys are kind of young, but the, the old Eagles running back Keith Byers, you know, he had a Jones fracture, was treated, and he rebroke it. So there's always a risk of recurrence. So I was in favor of the fact that they fixed it, you know, with the screw, which is really a standard of care. It hastens recovery. It prevents the recurrence. So um, I'm not worried about him in the least. Well, Dr. Kelly, we truly appreciate you calling in today. I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight after hearing your analysis of Sidney Jones. Uh, I may need you to send me the number of somebody to talk to. But uh, we we definitely appreciate it and hope you'll join us again in the future when we hope other players don't have injuries, but we are in Philadelphia. So. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome. I got some Jack Daniels just to help you sleep. Just to help me sleep. <laughs> Th- thank you so thank much, you. doctor. You have a great day. Take you care. Too, Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. I don't know how I'm going to sleep after that. Uh, Sidney Jones, uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Cohen. You've been saying this since the draft, and now all of a sudden, I'm like coming to the dark side with you. I I told you it, it just it doesn't make sense to me that you would draft a guy when when you're a cornerback. What's your first move? Your first I move know, is back. push off. Push I get off. it. Yeah, I get so, it. So it it never made sense to me to take that that kind of risk. You want, especially when there were other guys there that were close to just as good, yes, if not as good. So, right. so why take that risk? Lose a year, 
Because even if he comes back this year, he's not going to do anything. And they're not going to risk it, especially since in Philadelphia, everybody takes off their first year. <laughs> so that seems to be the, the thought of the doctor is that, um, you know, he has some long-term concerns. Guys, last minute on the show, um, anything surprise you, worry you about what the doctor said? Any other thoughts on fan behavior? Anything before we go, Jeff Rupperg? Well, just because Dr. Kelly has his opinion... Uh, I'm sure the Eagles have a different opinion. Yeah, Jeff, I'm going to so be let's... I'm going to be looking for a second opinion. I love Dr. Kelly, but I need somebody who's going to be a little more cheery for me, <laughs> so that I can have hope. Well, he is a good doctor. He's a tell great you from, doctor from experience. Uh, but um, I'm sure that the Eagles, uh, the Eagles um, a medical team will uh, take a look at him, and, um, and 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 he might be back this. You're year. You're just happy it's not the Sixers medical team. Jeff Cohen, right. last word. Last word. Kentucky Derby this weekend. I know we didn't have a chance to talk about it. Greatest two minutes in sport. Put your money down on McCracken. We will definitely watch it and talk about it and, next and, week. And the two minute, interesting two minutes, the last two minutes of basketball games, right? Isn't that when it all, it hap- it all happens? That's the horse race. Right? If, only, if only you foul the horse every three seconds. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next week, next Saturday at 1 p.m. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye-bye.